Hi, I'm Helen Avery with the Green Finance Institute, and you're listening to Financing Nature from GFI Hive. Today, I'm joined by Willie Watt, Chair of the Scottish National Investment Bank, to talk about what investment opportunities in natural capital the bank is seeing in Scotland. GFI itself has identified, a, I think, a 15 billion funding gap to achieve the stated nature-related policy objectives. I think the gap in terms of decarbonising heat in Scotland is 30 billion. And those are two examples of the need for external capital. In both cases, government capital is completely inadequate. So the private sector has to be part of the solution. And so a development bank in that context is really trying to champion commercial investment that we might do when projects are more risky and we can be a pioneer investor. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Financing Nature. I am joined today by the wonderful Willie Watt, Chair of the Scottish National Investment Bank, that was recently set up to help crowd in private finance into key opportunities for Scotland. And Willie will be talking to us about that mission, the strategy, and specifically what he's seeing as opportunities within natural capital. Um, I think it's such an interesting approach the bank is taking, and so I'm really excited to get going. So let's invite Willie on. Well, welcome, Willie. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's lovely to see you. Um, How's the weather doing up where you are in Scotland? Well, it's dry, uh, a little bit grey. Uh, but um, definitely spring-like out here in East Lothian. Oh, glad to hear spring is finally upon us. It's been a long time coming, for sure. Um, And thank you so much for coming to talk to us today about the Scottish National Investment Bank, and in particular, natural capital investment. Um, But before we come on to the bank, I wondered if you can share, for those who don't know you, a little bit more background about you and your background in finance. You worked at 3i, Martin Curry, and your role as chair of the bank. Yeah, I guess I've got a nearly 40 years uh, investment experience. Uh, the first part of that was in um, venture capital and, and private equity. The second part in uh, international equities um, as part of um, the period when I was the CEO of a, of a company in that space, we were um, pioneers of the UNPRI. We championed sustainable investing from that time until I retired in uh, at the end of 2019. And um, since then, one of the jobs I've done is to be chair of the Scottish National Investment Bank. I live out in East Lothian. Um, we're very lucky to have some land around our house and I've been planting trees and wildflower meadows and um, trying to make a pond work. So I've got a little <laughs> bit of practical experience of nature-based investing on a, on a personal basis. I think we've planted about 350 trees, but it's great to see them uh, growing and, and um, I'm looking out my window at uh, a forest strip that we planted, which is um, is looking quite good. So <laughs> so that's me. And particularly given your commercial background, I really couldn't be a better person for this job as chair of the bank. Um, 
to this, so the bank has been really clear that it's investing commercially at present, mm-hmm. not concessionary loans, for example, that we might see from other development banks. So before we go on to talk about the mission, could you just talk us through why that uh, specific commercial strategy was chosen? It's a really uh, good question and a really important part of, of who we are and what we do. I think um, GFI itself has identified, a, I think, a 15 billion funding gap to achieve the stated nature-related policy objectives. I think the gap in terms of decarbonising heat in Scotland is 30 billion. And those are two examples of the need for external capital. In both cases, government capital is completely inadequate. So the private sector has to be part of the solution. Um, And so a development bank in that context is really trying to champion commercial investment that we might do when projects are more risky, when mechanisms of funding nature restoration, for example, are, are, are less well developed and understood and trusted. And we can be a pioneer investor. And if we invest commercially, that can then be taken over by the normal commercial investors who can then take it up. If all we do is give grants, there really isn't anything that can be built on from a private sector perspective. Um, But of course, we will work with government and government's grant giving uh, elements and we'll work with government on policy to try and help to lever in private capital. So, So that's why making commercial investments is important. We don't necessarily have to make the same returns as the private sector and we will take more risk. But overall, it needs to be commercial. And then the final point is that we're trying to create a perpetual fund. We're prepared to take a a 20 or 30 year view on certain investments. But if we can reinvest those proceeds, we can lever up on the capital that the government has, the Scottish government has uh, endowed us with. So although, as you say, the bank is looking for commercial returns, but it doesn't have to be in line with um, what, say, the the market would be expecting in terms of returns so that you can prime some of these investments for that later stage, higher return-seeking capital. Correct. Particularly in nature-based investing, it's likely that we'll be taking a higher risk than the private sector. But in terms of the the expansion of it and the, the need for a a kind of step change in in nature-based investing, then I think we will be taking more risk and trying to prove to the private sector that we have an investable proposition here. And we'll get into some of those um, natural capital investments in a bit. Um, as you intimated, though, there's a, there's a lot the bank is investing in. It's not just natural capital. So maybe sort of going back to to basics to the beginning. Yeah. Um, let's talk about you know why the bank was set up and and, the, and its mission. So it was set up only in November 2020, so not long ago at all. Um, and it has these three strategic missions. Can you talk us through those? They came about through a consultation programme across corporate, civic, public Scotland. Um, and they are aimed really at dealing with Grand challenges uh, is the phrase that's used. I'm not sure it's a particularly good one, but the point is that the three challenges that it focuses on are the drive to net zero, place-based inequality, and the innovation 
and productivity problems that Scotland has. Um, I've been, you can tell by looking at me that I've been around for a long time. Um, and the two of those challenges are have been perennial problems in Scotland. The, 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 the inequality, place-based inequality and the productivity and innovation deficit, one might call it. Um, now, these are issues for Western countries um, across the globe. They're not specific to Scotland, but they are. And of course, the third challenge is the, the, the drive to net zero. And uh, the way the bank is set up is that every investment we make has to speak to at least one of those missions to address those challenges. And presumably natural capital can speak to all three of those missions. It can. Uh, it can. The, the restoration of natural capital, the, the building of natural capital is a good thing in its own right. But it is also an important building block in the drive to net zero. Natural capital also has a geographical space, a place-based um, element to it. Um, uh, inequality of opportunity is not just an urban phenomenon. Um, it's a rural phenomenon too. Um, and you know some of the poorest individuals are rurally based, not just based in urban areas. I think where the innovation piece comes in is around um, particularly innovation around how we think about natural capital as an asset. And that will require us to collect a lot of information mm. around you know, the quality of that asset. That, I think, brings us into the Internet of Things communications technology and so the innovation piece i think is 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 probably one that gets a little bit forgotten about the place-based piece and the net zero piece are are, are much more obvious uh, but there, there is very much an innovation piece too i think that's really interesting um and, and hopefully we can come on to some of those examples of, of where that's occurring in a moment we, yeah. we actually had katie critchlow on last week who shared with us about edna and this need for investment in nature tech um but on this point of examples i wondered if we can get into a bit more detail on the type of investments that you are making mm -hmm. so the bank's already committed almost 200 million pounds since its inception um, and the portfolio of project is is really varied there are investments in an ev charging network social housing and first time buyer homes broadband um, the Aberdeen Harbour, nanotechnology. And for those listening, you can find all the investments on um, the Scottish National Investment Bank's website. Um, and there have also been a few that are specific to natural capital, nature-based solutions, nature-based businesses, um, which I'd love to sort of go into more detail on. So there's investments in Gresham's Forestry Fund, um, investment in natural fibre construction insulation company mm -hmm. <laughs> um tidal turbines so can you tell us a bit more about those yes um the you mentioned indie nature which is um all about organic insulation material that's more efficient than the man-made fiber insulation and can be grown by local farmers in uh, in scotland and it's hemp based mm. so we've invested in uh, in that company, it's based down in the Scottish Borders, 
is providing jobs in a kind of rural setting. And of course, it plays into the decarbonisation of heat. You know, one of the easiest ways in which we can decarbonise heat is to use less heat. <laughs> and we can use less heat if our <laughs> better. Um, we invested in a woodland creation fund. The policy objective there was to support um, the government's, you know, woodland creation strategy. That obviously has a number of uh, mission benefits. One is uh, obviously the, se- the sequestration of carbon in the timber itself. The second is um, replacing imports of timber. Uh, 80% of the UK's timber is imported, some of it from non-sustainable forest sources. And of course, given yeah. the regulatory framework in the UK, our, our forests are sustainable and highly regulated. So I, that, that was really the, the thinking behind that investment. Uh, you mentioned Nova Tidal. Um, tidal energy is something that many, many companies have been trying to perfect for many years. Nova has a particular niche. It builds moderately sized underwater turbines that look like an underwater version of a, of a wind turbine. They move very slowly, but with very high gearing in tidal flows. And they're particularly aimed at providing um power to islands that are off-grid. Many islands um, in Scotland and elsewhere around the world are not on the grid, and actually the power is currently being provided by diesel generators. And, um, you know, we're replacing diesel generators with uh, tidal power. You might think, gosh, that's quite a small market. Um, In Scotland, it is quite a small market, but when you think about Canada, Indonesia, and other, you know, large island nations, the Philippines uh, would be another example, then there's actually quite a broad global market for island-based power. And of course, not only are you replacing dirty power, uh, but you're doing away with the need for grid connections that are expensive and very asset destructive. And, you know, we've checked and the company are very mindful of whether it is actually doing any damage to marine environments. And, you know, we're confident that that it's not, you know, a danger to whales and dolphins and, you know, other marine life. So those would be three examples. But, you know, we're in the early stages yet. We've only been running, as you say, for just over a year. So they, they don't really represent the breadth of what we could do. They just it, it represent examples of what we have done. I guess the the obvious question then is, you know, what would you like to be investing in? Uh, And is it a challenge to find investments in this sector? It it is. There's something around scale. The bank is an institution that is set up to invest between a million and 50 million in projects. So it's difficult for us to do many small scale projects. And obviously, given that land holding is often quite spread, and, and that's not inappropriate, but there is a complexity of getting a raft of different landowners to coalesce around a project at scale. So that's the challenge. And I think the other challenge is how do you create a commercial investable proposition from a nature-based solution? The commerciality can come from revenue generation or the generation of capital, but that capital has to have a monetary value. So, you know, where can that come from? It can come from agricultural products or timber. 
Um, it can come from tourism and leisure, you know, uh, green energy, but also payment for risk mitigation, I think. You know, one of the interesting areas is, is uh, growing woodlands to help with flood prevention. But I think that may also be part of the solution. And there are other kinds of risk mitigation, um, you know, that one could think about maybe in other parts of the world, like um, the use of sand dune, well, sand dune systems in the UK, but, but also sand dune systems in parts of the world that are um, important in stopping hurricane damage or other types of nature as a risk mitigator to the built environment. Uh, I think that's an interesting area of, for monetization. And then, of course, we've got the, the very contentious carbon credits issue. You know, there are a lot of very difficult issues around carbon credits, but equally, it's hard to see that they don't represent part of what we need to think about as a way to monetize the restoration and development of natural capital. So staying on this challenge of finding natural capital investment opportunities, you mentioned scale um, and also the need for revenue stream creation. What do you think would support that pipeline development, um, especially in Scotland? Mm. I think um, vision. If you look at the analogy of you know, property development, you know, which might seem like a pretty an- ugly analogy to use in a nature-based podcast. But often there, you will there will be somebody who has a vision of how to put together a combination of ownership plots and have a theme that will run through a total development and that will bring together all the parties that are required. We need something like that on, a, on nature-based. You know, the work that Jeremy Leggett's doing in Scotland, for example, would come under that um, that 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 banner of vision. We need more visionary people who are going to think big. I think there is a need for community involvement, and that's another complicating but necessary factor to be brought into play. Uh, and then I think it's unlikely that the creation of um, of revenue that allows the scale of investment that's required is going to come from one source. Um, so I think it's putting together uh, financing from high net worth individuals' capital. We also need corporate capital, and maybe the bank can help there to uh, lever in impact-based corporate capital. Um, and we still need government support. You know, and I very much welcome the you know the 500 million um, nature fund that the Scottish government has put together. I mean, that, that will make a difference, and hopefully, will be able to be invested in a set of um, projects that will become exemplars of what can be done in in greater scale. So I know we're jumping around a bit here, um, but I didn't want to move on to impact before we come back to tech and your earlier point on innovation. Yeah, Are you seeing opportunities there? And if so, what are they? I mean, a, a lot of it is around measurement and data and using artificial intelligence to process and understand data, which then supports natural capital investment. I'll give you an exa- a couple of examples of things that we're involved with. We're, we're invested in a, a company called R3, 
um, you know, it, it's looking at measuring water quality across multiple states in places like rural Canada, where at the moment, you know, you need a guy in a van who drives along to the river bank, he gets his kit out, and then he takes water samples. What our three are thinking about is how you have remote stations that would allow you to sample on a river system much, much more efficiently using um, smart data units and then beaming the data up to satellites. Because in a lot of remote areas, in Scotland to some extent, there is no mobile signal. So you can't use mobile as your way to get the data out. Um, and another example is um, a company also in Glasgow by coincidence called M Squared Lasers, which um, uses laser technology in satellites for measuring uh, environmental degradation or improvement. Um, so those would be examples. And I think kind of moving towards the impact side of it, investors are going to want to see the fruits of their labors quite literally. So that is going to require a lot of measurement to be able to prove to investors that those impacts are actually being, um, being met. Well, that's the perfect segue then to talking about how the bank is looking at impact. Um, it's obviously early days in your investment, but the bank has developed this robust impact framework that I think is really interesting for other investors to hear about. So could you share a bit more with us about that? When we make an investment, we have uh, what we call impact covenants. Those are measures that support the reason that we made the investment. That might be in relation to the Gresham investment. It might be around the ratio of native woodland to commercial species with Nova Tidal. It might be, you know, how many tidal power units are deployed in different environments. So we come up with a, a bunch of uh, covenants and then the organization, the project, the company has to report on those covenants every year, um, sometimes more frequently than that. And then we will measure whether you know that uh, improvement is what we thought it would be when we made the investment. Um, there's a World Bank framework that was set up by the International uh, Finance Corporation. And within that, there's a methodology called IRIS, which looks at everything from the impacts themselves, how they're measured, what the outcomes are, and then compares that with what is expected. So we've looked for kind of best practice around the world. Um, we are bringing it into the bank and then we'll develop it as our own tool over the next few years. And ultimately, we'll get it in externally audited. It's such an important question, isn't it? Like, what do positive outcomes look like for natural mm. capital investment? Um, and that brings me on to the interim principles for responsible investing in natural capital that the Scottish Government released fairly recently uh, yeah. and that now they're in dialogue with stakeholders on. And obviously, inequality as you mentioned, is one of the bank's uh, strategic missions. So how um, do these interim principles play into this broader question of impact and, and its measurement, do you think? I, I think it's important that there is a holistic view taken of, um, of that. And no one wants irresponsible short-term investment. So I think the Scottish government and regulators generally 
are right to think about this in a holistic way, which emphasizes social justice and the role of communities, uh, as well as the more environmentally driven objectives. Um, it is quite difficult because there's not a consensus on exactly what best practice is with regard to these yeah. things. And there are pressure groups that are very clear that their way of thinking about this is the right way. So it's, it's a bit of a balancing act, building a framework that will work from the point of view of investment, but also works yeah. from the point of view of communities. But I, I don't see these things as being inherently in conflict. You know, I think a more vibrant, more healthy environment in the Scottish countryside would support communities. It would support jobs. And, you know, I, I think we could have a far healthier balance of open country uh, to woodland. We could have a far healthier um, peatland infrastructure um, we could have far healthier um, wetland habitats, um, you know, in loch and coastal situations, sand dunes, you know, the things that are win-wins for communities and for natural capital, but also support things like tourism um, and, and, you know, the productive use of land. There is a there is a path through all of this that will work. We've just got to make sure that we are recognising the prize at the end of this, um, and that we don't get derailed um, to thinking that that there are easy answers and that the state can do it all because the state can't do it all. So, to your point, Willie, on on taking this holistic approach, looking at job creation, economic development. What we haven't touched on today, and I'm mm -hmm. sort of squeezing this in before we let you go, is that the bank not only makes equity investments, but also provides loans. And there has been, you know, a loan yeah. to a hotel business on the north coast of Scotland, for example. And there are many nature-related businesses in Scotland, um, you know, like distilleries, for example, just, just one of them, and ecotourism. I just wondered if that's where there's a bit of a sweet spot for the bank in providing loans to nature-positive businesses towards the development of Scotland as this nature-based economy. There's a bit of a Hippocratic Oath element here as well, which is, you know, we should be trying to do no wrong. Um, right. You know, so, you know, you can't build uh, the Aberdeen South Harbour without dredging, without pouring masses of concrete. Um, and so to an extent, we should be honest and say that some of the things that we do do degrade the environment in a very local sense. But we need to be able to service the building of the Scott Wind auction round of offshore and floating wind. And we need infrastructure to do that. Um, and and Scotland is a major plank of uh, our decarbonisation strategy. So you know sometimes we have to pour concrete, um, but but um, in lots of cases we should be linking corporate and economic activity 
to, uh, as you say, a positive view of nature. Um, and, you know, I think the whiskey industry is an interesting one because it, in some respects, always had an interest in this because of water quality, right. you know, and, and because water quality is so important to the, 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 the process and the branding, that there was a sense of purity of water, which then impacts on what goes in, onto the land and all the rest of it. And so I can see industries where there is a positive ethos. And of course, it's important to branding too, because uh, consumers care about these issues. They're, they're not just esoteric issues that people from the rural world or the ecological world or the investment world care about. They're things that everyone cares about. And so people want to be associated with companies that have a responsible attitude to the natural environment. Um, and we can work with that and we can foster that and we can encourage it. And we can also, to an extent, through our covenants, police it. So many touch points uh, for the bank in supporting the nature positive agenda through its commercial activity. That's what I've heard throughout our conversation today, William. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful to you for coming on and sharing those with us. Just as we wrap up here, obviously there's so much you're working on, um, but we, what can we expect from the bank over the next few months? Uh, we've got lots of projects we're working on, but you know, I, I think we'll be continuing to report on the progress of our portfolio. We'll be reaching out to communities and interested parties in this natural capital space and we'll, you know, be as active as we can be um, in this area. We want to learn. Uh, we want to listen. We want to try and see what, who we can work with. And, um, uh, you know, be be great to be sitting here in a year's time talking about more investment in this space. Well, I will take you up on this challenge, Willie, to have you back on in a year's time and hear about what you've been learning. No pressure. <laughs> No, no pressure. Um, thank you so much again for taking the time to join us today, Willie. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Yeah, thanks very much, Helen. It's been good to talk to you. Thank you. So lots of creative ways um, of thinking about natural capital investing from Willie and the bank there. And do check out the bank's website. There are lots of interesting projects um, on there that they have financed. Um, but that's all from us this week. However, next week, I'm joined by Simon Zadek and Marcelo Furtado to talk about the task force on nature markets. And coming up in the rest of May, we have Anne-Laurence Rouchet of Morova, Raoul Noseman of ASM Bank and PBAF. And fingers crossed, we'll also be talking soil carbon. Um, but don't forget, we have the Wire Natural Flood Management uh, Project shared learning event on May the 13th too. That's at 10 a.m. UK time. And you can sign up for that on the GFI Hive website events page. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up to our new monthly newsletter. Well, newish, I suppose it's five months old at this point, but sign up. Um, there are a couple of new case studies up and several more going up over this month. And until next time, however, it leaves me just to say thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast, which would also not be here without support from the Esme Fairbairn Foundation and the wonderful work of our editor, Robin Lieburn of Fairly Media. See you next week. <laughs>